remain standing, please. Welcome, all of you online watching. Didn't want to come out and get cold. Welcome to the service. But the song that we just finished singing, Oh Lord, I Need You. Is that true? I mean, the songs that AJ and the praise team select, we need to listen to them. We need to listen to what they're asking us or even what we're, when we're singing along with these songs, we're proclaiming something. And so if we ever get to a point where we don't need the Lord, we're in trouble. So I just want you to think on that as we go through this morning. Um, everybody got to meet Shelly this morning. So children, go ahead and follow Miss Shelly out. And I want to start out again reading as we're standing, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 21. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, we know that no man after the flesh, we know no man after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now we will know him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. For this reason that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead to be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. So that's the verse that we're going to be looking at and kind of hitting off and on through this whole morning. But right now, what I would like everybody to do is just put down your Bibles, your cups, whatever it happens to be, and turn and greet a few people that are around you. Just take a moment and say hello to everybody. It's good. This is something good to see, just people interacting, saying hello to people that maybe you've never had a chance to say hello to before. All right. Thank you all. If you look up on the screen there, it's a picture of the, the new growth. The old has gone, the new is here. And this just testifies of the goodness of God, is that this picture, you know, we can imagine that a fire has gone through, burned up everything, but out of that, we see new growth coming. The old has been burned away, it's been taken away, and out of that, something new is appearing. And just, 
how God likes to do things to make us think, make us wonder, is as I was looking into some of these things, um, out west they have a type of pine tree that's called lodgepole pine. And a lodgepole pine, if you ever see the cones on them, they're relatively small, but they're encased in resin. They're sealed in a resin case. And so these cones, they fall to the ground, and it may be years that they'll lay there dormant. And what it takes to release the seed is a fire. Is the fire comes and it melts the resin, and the cone opens up and disperses the seed so that new growth can come out of it. And so when we t read the passage in 2 chapter 5, verse 17, it says, If anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Is that's what I want you to picture? Is that before you encountered Christ, you were covered in resin, you were covered in sin. And when we encounter Christ, it burns it off. It melts that resin. It melts the sin off of your life so that you can be reborn into a new creation. And so that's the message that we're bringing. Last week I talked about being a dead ringer, is that you look like the same person, but there's something different. There's something new about you. But before I go on to that, the thing that we have to talk about is the, one of the important parts of verse 17 is if any person is in Christ. Okay? Everything I talk about from this point after, if you are not in Christ, doesn't apply to you. It has to start with in Christ. And what does that mean to be in Christ? It means that you've given your life over to him. It means you've surrendered yourself. You've said that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And so to become the new man, the new creation, it starts with understanding what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So who does that include? Anybody excluded in here? All have sinned. So no matter why you're sitting here today, watching us online even, if you have sin in your life, you're included in that verse that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we go on to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says the wages of sin is what? Death. Is death. So if you have sin in your life, your judgment, your destination is death, separation from God. But in... 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess or repent of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the plan of salvation right there, is that we're all sinners. There's nothing that I can do to become better and earn God's favor and earn my way into heaven. I can't do it. There's nothing I can do. The only thing that allows me to say that I am saved and born again is that I've confessed my sins and repented of those sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. Every single one of you personally, he died so that you could be made into a new creation, so that you could be that new growth. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we're not promised a tomorrow. Hands, turning it over to him completely. Because the things that we're going to be talking about now is becoming a new creation, getting the old out of us in new creations. That's where we're going with that today. Is Last week, again, I was talking about becoming a dead ringer and 
people recognize me. You know, there's people that you know I went to school with you know 30 years ago, that they still would recognize me even if they hadn't seen me in these last 30 years. But there's something different about me. I'm not the same person I once was because of Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> One of my old classmates can say that. <laughs> Don knew me from high school. But that's the thing is we're called to be a new creation. We're called to be something different than we used to be. And it's not about the physical outward appearance, but that because that will happen in some people. Um, Ann and I had the privilege of meeting a, a, a young man um, named Tobias when we were in Kenya years ago. And he was a witch doctor. And we heard of who he was. We knew the man's name. And the, you know he had been on his way to do a contract killing, if you will. He was going to curse someone to k- kill them in Kenya. And as he was passing by the Magori Worship Center where Bishop John Okinda and his you know, staff and people worked, they were having a, the worship team was practicing. They were rehearsing. It wasn't even a worship service. They were just practicing. And the tug of God was so strong on Tobias as he walked by that he f- had to go see what was going on. He came in and got radically saved. His physical appearance did change because they told us that when he was in the witchcraft, when he was killing people by cursing them, his own family didn't recognize him because his physical appearance he looked like an 80-year-old man when he was only in his 50s. That the evil that he was embracing changed his physical appearance. When God redeemed him and saved him, it changed his physical appearance. So that's a unique story. But for most of us, that doesn't happen. The change that happens is all in here. It's how we change in the way we think. It's how we change in our attitude and how we speak out the love of God. That's the differences that are going to become apparent in people. So to become that dead ringer is I've got three different things I'm going to talk to you about this morning, a three-pronged approach to becoming a dead ringer so that people still recognize you physically, but they're going to say, what's different about you? Why don't you blow up in anger all the time anymore? Why don't you curse when people pull out in front of you? Why is there something different about you? And the first thing we're going to talk about is we have to become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we already read about. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Think about a baby. You got any little babies in here still? I know there was a couple of them. Okay. Preston's got the little bundle back there, right? Okay. When the baby was born, tiny little thing, they don't instantly become an adult. It takes time, right? It takes nurturing. It takes protection. So as Christians a lot of times we don't give ourselves the same grace, if you will, is that we think because somebody's a Christian that they should be at the same level of maturity as everybody else. It's a process of time. It takes nurturing. It takes care or protection of other Christians to help take a new baby Christian, a born-again Christian, and raise them up into a maturity level that is going to be pleasing to God. So... Would call um, bring up the picture, please. I'm going to use a lot of pictures today. I'm going to be going through a lot of scriptures, so put your seatbelts on. Okay. Don't expect you to try and find them in you know your Bibles. I know you all are bringing your Bibles now, right? A little silent on that one. But write the scriptures down and look at them later. But to become a dead ringer, to become the new creation in Christ, one of the things we have to do. It's essential 
is that we spend time in his presence. Again, a picture of Mary here at the well, or the woman at the well, sorry, not Mary, is the woman at the well speaking to Jesus. Just time in his presence. Some of the things that you can do while you're in his presence are, think of them as spiritual disciplines. That if you have made, you know, that New Year's resolution to exercise more, it takes discipline to do that. You have to say, I'm going to go to the gym at a certain time. I'm going to do a certain amount of activities. To become more like Christ, to become a new creation, you have to have spiritual discipline. You have to take the time that you're allotted, the 24 hours in every single day, and say, I'm going to do something different with them. And some of the things that you can do is prayer. Bring everything by prayer to God. Pray without ceasing, or just a couple of the scriptures that we're told, is that we should constantly be praying for ourselves, for our family, for our situation, for our government, for our world. There are all sorts of things we can be praying for, but that's time in God's presence. And part of prayer that we also need to embrace is it's not just us talking, or it shouldn't be. Part of prayer should be, if you ask God a question, and then you start praying the next part of your prayer list, how's he going to answer you? Okay, and I think I said this last week, sometimes we just need to shut up and listen. If you ask God a question, expect an answer. Give him a chance to answer you. Don't just keep on talking yourself. Um, second part about, put, Mary back, put the picture of the well back up there, guys. Just leave it up there. Is another way of spending time in his presence is meditating. And again, this is not a new age term. This is a term from the Bible. It is an instruction from God. In Psalm 1-2, it says, Blessed is the one who meditates on his law day and night. Amen. Who meditates on his law day and night. That means you think about it, that you ruminate on it, you dig into it, you get more of the meat out of it by thinking about it day and night. And you're actually, it says you're blessed is the one that does that, that meditates on the word. And then the word itself you know, we've got 66 books that have been put into our Bible here, is we need to get this in ourselves. Okay. Just carrying it around doesn't do anything. It doesn't work by osmosis. You know, you can, how many of you when you were in college thought that you could stick, stick your chemistry book on your pillow <laughs> and that information would just seep into your brain as you slept? I mean, it's a great idea. It doesn't work. Okay. The Word of God you just carrying this thing around doesn't get it into you. You've got to read it. You've got to hear it. You've got to you know, hear other people talk about it. You've got to get this into you, and that's what, part of what's going to make you a new creation, is you have to allow it to sink into your heart, into your mind, and that's where the change will come from. Um, in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. You know, you take a newborn baby and you give it the mother's milk, what happens to the baby? Starts growing. Okay, it has to have the milk. We have to have the word for us to grow as Christians. And then in Second Timothy 2.15, it says, Study the word, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly handling or understanding the word of truth. So there's going to be questions. People are going to come to you with questions. They're going to ask you, well, what about this? Doesn't the Bible contradict itself? And if you don't know the word, you're going to have no answer for them. So we have got to get the word into ourselves because of why God has left us here. One of the script, 
um, scriptures that I read in 2 Corinthians says that we are ambassadors. We're representing God. We're representing Christ and what he did. And so for us to be his ambassadors, we have to understand who we are and what his word says. So those are the things that were one facet of becoming a new creation and becoming a dead ringer. Um, go ahead and put the next picture up, guys. So this is the next facet of becoming a new creation. Everybody understand what that is? The second way to become a new creation is to surrender. Okay, seems kind of like a little bit of an odd statement to make, right? We've got to surrender. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, what portion of the sacrifice did they give to the priest? If you've raised your lamb, if you've raised your sacrifice, and you bring it into the priest, what do you give to the priest? The whole lamb. There's nothing that you get to keep for yourself. It's you're giving all of it to the priest to burn up as a sacrifice. So in Romans, when Paul tells us to offer myself as a living sacrifice, how much of myself am I supposed to be putting on the altar? Every single part of me. Every thought, every emotion, every bit of my being, he tells me, surrender. Give it unto me so that you can become a new creation. In Luke 22, 42, Jesus even said these words, not my will, but yours. Speaking to the Father, he was having the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, if there's any other way we can do this, Father, let's figure it out, but not my will. So Jesus surrendered his own will to put himself up on that cross because he loved us so much. So if Jesus is willing to surrender his will and his very life, aren't we expected to do the exact same things? That if we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, little Christians, little Christs, are we not supposed to do the exact same things he did? That's what we're called to do. Surrender, offer ourselves as that living sacrifice. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so what does that mean? You're not your own anymore. So the life that I'm living right now, it's not supposed to be my own life. It's not supposed to be me doing what I want to do, my desires and my wants. It's supposed to be the one that bought me. I was bought with a price. Amen. So this life that I'm living should no longer be my life. It's the one that bought me by offering his life, by laying his life down on the cross. And he's saying, I've bought you. If you want to think of it, think of yourself as a slave. You have a master. We've always had a master. It's just we've chosen a different master when we've given our lives to Christ. We're no longer serving ourselves. We're no longer serving sin and the ways of this world. We're serving the one that created us and saved us for his purpose to become his ambassadors his representatives in this world. So serve him with all that you are. All right. And then the third facet of becoming a new creation is bring that next slide up, guys. Okay. Everybody likes to see that kind of a stamp if you have a mortgage or something, right? Paid in full. Okay. The third facet of becoming a new creation is forgiveness and repentance. In Ephesians 4.30, it frees us. 
It cancels the debt that we had. Matthew 6, 14 says, if you forgive others, your heavenly father will forgive you. And a lot of people don't like this next part. But if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you. Contingencies, if statements, we don't like those. But it's very clear what it says in the Bible is that as we forgive other people, we are also forgiven. It frees us. It allows us to do things that are not you know, keeping us bound anymore. So our debt has been paid in full because of what Christ did. His shed blood cleanses us from the debt that we owed because of the sin in our lives. And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Repent and be converted so your sins will be blotted out in times of rest before the Lord will come. I think that's a part that we also a lot of times we skip over is that our sins will be blotted out because of our repentance. But then it also says that we will have rest before the Lord. How many of you need rest? If you've been in a spiritual battle, if you've been fighting the enemy, how many of you need a rest? Repent and be converted and times of rest will come before the Lord. So the debt's been paid in full. The second way of the second facet of becoming a, a dead ringer is to cast out fear. And we've talked about that a few different times over the, the opportunities I've had talking to you. Is fear is a powerful thing in our lives, or it can be. And what is fear? You know, fear is something that can paralyze you. It makes it easier. If you're in fear, how easy is it to can be controlled and manipulated? Fear is not from God. That's a pretty simple statement, right? Fear is not from God. So if it's not from God, where does fear come from? All right, go ahead and bring the next slide up, guys. Okay. This is a familiar theme. This is going to be something that is the answer for everything. What's this representing? Jesus with a crowd of people around him. It's about being in God's presence. I mean, every question we have, there are answers in his presence. But so for to cast out fear, you need to be in God's presence. You know, think about Peter walking on the water. Okay, it wasn't possible to walk on water, is it? Naturally. I mean, none of, we're not designed to be buoyant. <laughs> okay, the density that our bodies have do not allow for us to walk on water. But when Jesus commands somebody to do something, the natural laws no longer take effect. But as soon as Peter got back to looking at his environment, the waves, the storm lashing around his feet as he's walking on the water, he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at his natural surroundings, and he did what he should have done. He started sinking. But as soon as he cried out to Jesus and looked back and focused on he walked back to the boat with Jesus on the water. So fear has many different facets, many different you know, avenues. And we talked about a little bit of fear last time and the fear of being buried alive and the fear of death. But there are so many fears out there. And most fears are based on ignorance. Okay. So how do we overcome ignorance? Get knowledge. So being in God's presence brings us knowledge. In 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. 
And in 1 John 4, 18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So if you have fear in your life, where do you need to be? In God's presence. Because in his presence, perfect love casts out fear, and there is fullness of joy in his presence. And so no matter what the fear is in your life, no matter what it is that's holding you in bondage, you need to get in God's presence and seek answers, seek knowledge on why do I have this fear in my life and allow him to educate you, to you know, t turn that fear and cast it out. So a lot of fear is based on ignorance and lies, so we need to get knowledge. Um, next picture, guys. Very obvious what that is, right? Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And knowledge, in the biblical sense, is a form of intimacy. Again, one of the first usages of it's in the gen in the book of Genesis when Adam knew Eve. And I've used that one. A baby was created, so that's the kind of intimacy that when we say that we need to get knowledge. We need to get the knowledge of who God is. We need to spend time with him in an intimate way that something new is birthed out of us. And one of those things can be the knowledge of, you know, the fear that you had, why it's not something that you need to hold on to anymore. That if you have, a, you know, we talked about this last week, if you have a fear of death, in Christ, you don't need to fear death. Because the physical death of your body is not the end of your life. It's your entry into God's presence in a way that's beyond anything we can comprehend right now. So do not be destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Knowledge comes from the Bible. The gift of the, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is a word of knowledge. So tap into the Holy Spirit. He was given to us in Christ to teach us to walk this thing out with us so that we could understand things that we otherwise would not be able to understand. And knowledge also can come from history. How people lived, you know, the mistakes they made, you know, that's worth the Bible. There's so many mistakes in the Bible, not in God's way of doing things, but in how man failed time after time. So can we learn from their mistakes? We should be able to. So we can learn from the history of it. We can learn from science. Um, example I was thinking of as that is, is years ago, centuries ago, they used to have a fear of sailing off the edge of the earth. Because science taught them what? The earth was flat. Okay, there was edges. So if you went too far, you're going to fall off the edge of the world, and who knows what happens over that. One of the simplest things they started understanding to refute that the earth was flat one of the things that Christopher Columbus is quoted as saying this is he started noticing or he had the revelation that why did he only see the very top of the mast of a sailing ship? He didn't see the whole ship. If the earth was flat, shouldn't I see the entire ship at once? But he noticed that he could only see the top of the mast. And then as the ship came closer, he could see a little bit more and eventually he could see the hull and the whole ship. So if the earth was flat, it would be tiny, but you would see the entire ship as soon as it was in your view. But because of the earth being rounded, curvature of the earth, you only saw a little bit, a little bit more. 
So science can also teach us things if we pay attention to it and allow the wisdom of God to play a part in it. So casting out fear is getting knowledge. Another way to cast out fear, next slide, guys, is exercising the spiritual authority we've been given. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus saying this. And he said, And because of that, go and make disciples of all nations. So knowing that Jesus has been given all spiritual authority, and he commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, we know that we have the authority to do that because he's commanded us to do. And in Luke 10, verse 19, he says, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so that's part of the reason that my wife helped me find this picture here is when we look at that, hopefully you think evil. You think de demonic activity. That's the spiritual authority we've been given that we've been given the authority of Christ against all the power of the enemy. And one of the things that the enemy uses in our lives is fear. So if we understand that fear is not from God, that fear is from the enemy, it's from spiritual darkness that's trying to control and manipulate us to try and keep us from walking in the authority and the power we have, if we can get a hold of that and understand that, we're going to stand in the face of the enemy and say, in Jesus Christ's name, you have no authority here. You must go away. You must, be, you must flee from my presence. That's the authority we've been given. Are we walking in it? In Christ, again, is an important part of this entire thing, in God's presence. And again, the Bible gives us examples of when you're not in Christ, when you don't understand the authority that Christ has, is in Acts chapter 19, we're told about the sons of Sceva. They heard Paul casting out demons. They saw Paul casting out demons in Christ's name. And so, oh, this is pretty cool. They were sons of the priest. They thought they could do the same things. And so they started trying to cast out demons also in Paul's name, in Jesus' name. But what happened to them? The, the demon said, your guys are jokes. You don't understand what you're doing. They had no authority because they were not in Christ. They saw someone doing it in Christ, successfully casting out demons and rebuking the powers of the enemy. But because they were only mimicking what they saw a man doing, they did not have the authority. And it says, you know, I'm going to paraphrase this, the demons beat the crap out of them. They had no relationship. They had no intimacy with the author of the authority. And so don't just go out and start casting out demons if you're not in Christ because you're asking for trouble. It's something that you have to know who you are in Christ, and that's the only place that the authority comes in is when you have that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Third part of becoming a dead ringer. Go ahead and bring out the, is work out your salvation. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God working in you for his good pleasure. And that's where, again, it comes back to for his good pleasure, that all the things that we do in Christ, they're for God's pleasure, they're for his glory. And 
Some of you may not even know who this guy is if you were a child from the 70s and 80s. Okay, Bob Ross. Painting some happy little trees there. So working out our salvation, and again, I talked about this last week, salvation. Be working for God, for his pleasure, for his, he used it to glorify God, has given you. The gifts and the talents that every single one of you have, there is nobody excluded in this, as God has given every single one of you gifts and talents. What are you doing with them? Are you doing them for, are you using them for your own purposes, your own desires, or are you doing them to glorify God? 1 Peter 4.10 said, God has given each of us spiritual gifts. Use them to serve each other. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So no matter what your job is, whatever you're doing to get a paycheck, don't think of it as you're doing it for that person, whoever owns the company or the CEO, whatever. You're not working for them. Who are you working for? You are working for the Lord. So all that you do in your job Whatever the gifts and talents are that you have, use them as you're working for the Lord because that's who you are working for. So that as you go through your job, whatever it happens to be, that those that are around you will say, well, why don't you complain about this job like I do? Because I'm not working for the same person you are. We need to change our mindset. We need to change our heart. That you're not working for a paycheck. You're not working for the man. You're working for the Lord whatever your job is, whatever your giftings have led you to do. So find your gifts and talents. Um, next slide, guys. Next part of becoming a dead ringer and working out your salvation is grow. Is that if you were to take an assessment of your spiritual life right now, your maturity level in Christ, is seven months from now, we cannot be the same people. You know, if we take that first little seedling that's popped up there, and if that's how you look five years from now, something's wrong. You're not watering yourself. You're not being fed the word of God. Is we need to progress in our growth. We need to become more mature in Christ. And again, look into Jesus as our, you know, example. Luke chapter 2 and verse 40 is Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus to the temple, presented him to the Lord. And it says in verse 40 that the child grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom. And I think that's one of the misunderstandings maybe that we have about Jesus is that when he was born, he was just all of a sudden, he was all of it. He was all wise. He was all knowing. He was, he was Jesus Christ incarnate right at that very moment. But why do we have in verse 40 of... Um, Luke chapter 2, it says he grew. Okay. His physical stature changed. Obviously, Mary bore a little baby, you know, that little baby that she could hold in her two hands. He wasn't born a man, right? That would have been very hard on Mary. Okay, right, ladies? Okay. He had to grow in stature, but it also says he grew in wisdom. So he wasn't born with all the wisdom of God. It says he grew in wisdom. He gained wisdom. So we are to do the same thing. We are to be growing in Christ. We must be born again, but then must, we must grow in Christ. 
2 Peter 3.18 says that we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So again, Peter even tells us we have to grow in grace and knowledge, that we're not complete right now. We need to be progressing from one level of maturity to another level of maturity. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken toward maturity. So don't stay a baby in Christ. Don't stay in grade school. Graduate into high school. Learn more about the deep understanding of who Christ is and the power and the authority that we have. We need to continually be growing in him. So don't be satisfied with the level of maturity you have right now that I want you, every single one of you sitting here, every one of you listening to us online, is right now, take a quick assessment of what your maturity level is and determine that from this day on, you're going to grow. You're not going to be satisfied with, you know, six weeks from now saying, well, I haven't done a thing to grow. I'm the same person as I was six months, six weeks ago, six years ago. We need to constantly be growing into a level of some maturity in Christ. And then last picture, guys. Okay. The last point I want to make with you know, becoming a dead ringer and working out your salvation is it's about fighting the good fight. We're not just going to drift through these days that we're working out our salvation, that from this day forward to the day that you're taken into heaven... It's not about just drifting along. It's about fighting the good fight. Um, some of you may recognize this you know, young man, Audie Murphy. He was the, the most decorated soldier that came out of World War II. Um, one of the accounts that I was reading about him is, um, I think it was in Sicily. Um, his squadron, his group was under intense... Um, fire from the Germans and he covered their retreat he got on a damaged immobile American tank and started firing a 50 caliber machine gun at the enemy and the account that, of that day is there were six German tanks advancing against his position and hundreds of German foot soldiers and this man by himself with a 50 caliber machine gun held them at bay long enough for all of his comrades to retreat and reposition themselves. Um, in the display of many of the medals that he was awarded for his service during World War II, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor one time. Um, he fought the good fight. He stood in the face of the enemy and said, my life is not that valuable. He was willing to surrender his life if need be. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Be different than the world. Be different than lukewarm believers is what I added to that. Fight the good fight. Stand in the face of the enemy and say, You're not passing. You're not going to continue to wreak havoc behind the lines. Is that you're going to stand on your tank and fire at the enemy the sword, the word of Jesus. Because that's the authority, that's the purpose that we have as ambassadors 
is that we're to fight the good fight of faith, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, which is ours in Christ. And verse 14 says, keep this command without spot, unrebukable until Christ returns. So we're to continue fighting day after day after day because the enemy doesn't take a break. You may not have the enemy attacking you right now, but as you step into the things of Christ, he's going to take notice of it. And he's not going to leave you alone. He's going to bring attacks. He's going to bring doubts. He's going to bring lies. He's going to bring people speaking things against you and say, why are you doing this? Why are you being so religious? It's not about being religious. It's about representing Christ with all of who we are. It's about making a difference in other people's lives. So for us to become a dead ringer, that person that no longer acts, speaks, abuses like we used to, you have to understand that you're a new creation in Christ. Not that you're a new creation. It has to be coupled with you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. You are made new as you spend time in his presence, as you cast out fears, and as you work out your salvation. You need to understand that that's why God's got you here still. Every single one of you has a purpose serving him in your kingdom, in his kingdom. We need to cast out the fears that hold you in bondage and prevent you from boldly proclaiming what Christ did for you and is doing in you. Because if you have fear in your life, it's going to keep you quiet. Because if I have fear and I speak out, people are going to say, well, we also know this about you. Fear prevents us from doing the things that God's called us to do. So we need to, in Christ, cast out those fears, intent or complacent with where we're at right now. Doesn't matter how many days you've got left on this earth, 72 years, 72 days, it doesn't matter. Every single day that we have left is a gift from God. Are we going to use that gift every single day until he calls us home to glorify him. So work out your salvation, however many days you have left in this body, that you will be a light in the darkness. You will be strong for the weak. You'll speak truth in the face of lies. And you will testify of Christ's salvation and how you've overcome by the blood of the lamb. What this world needs is dead ringers. People that look physically the same as you may have once looked before you encountered Christ. But there needs to be that change in your heart and in your spirit that you boldly proclaim what Christ has done in you and what you're going to do in this world. This world needs dead ringers that are going to proudly proclaim, boldly proclaim that the only hope this world has is in Christ. So, as we close this morning, I'm asking every single one of you to be in this with me. It's to become a new creation, become a new ambassador for Christ. That as we walk out of this place today, that you'll go forth boldly proclaiming what Christ has done in you. You won't be satisfied with how you left here today that you're going to make it your own discipline 
to get into the Word more than you ever have before, that you're going to get in groups and discuss the Word. You're going to find ways to grow up in Christ because we cannot remain babies and do the things God has called us to do. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you for every believer that has gathered here today and gathered around the world in your name. And I also thank you for those that are seeking you, that are lost, that they're dying without hope, and that you'll speak into their lives. You will use us to find those that are in need, that we'll open our own lives up to those that are hurting, that are lost, that are caught in bondage and fears think that there is no way out of it. No, use us, Lord, to bring hope to a lost and dying world, a hopeless world. That each one of us will voluntarily say, Lord, take me and use me in ways that I've never dreamed of. Because the Lord has great plans and great purposes for each one of us. And as we go forth, we will bring glory to your name. We'll bring glory to your kingdom and push back the kingdom of darkness that it will no longer have the hold and the grip it does on this region, this country, and the world, Lord. Just push it back that we are that light. We're your ambassadors and that we love you with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole being. We give it unto you today, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen.